0: 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 17. Let's pray and then read the word of the Lord. Father, we come before you now, the author and finisher, the alpha and the omega. Father, our Savior and Lord, and Lord, we ask that our hearts are ready, that our spirits are delighted in the understanding of your word and Father, as we look at our dear brother Paul and the integrity of his ministry, understanding the seriousness of our day, may we be overwhelmed and yet humbled by the fact that you saved us and you have brought us to this place. Father, each of us here this day who know you, each one of us this day who are in Christ have a ministry. Father, help us to be faithful. Help us to be focused upon your glory and your righteousness. And Father, may we run the race that is set before us with the endurance that you would present us to the glory of you who saved us. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for this text. Thank you for your spirit. Now may we... Guard this treasure by your power. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope we are made manifest also to your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, So that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. Paul's defending his integrity. He has accusers. They show up all the time. And one of the things that they will attack you on, if you're faithful to your calling, which means you are a minister, you are a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the things that will come up, if they cannot find sin in your life, if they cannot find false doctrine in your life, then they will attack what they classify as your motives. Why does he or she do these things? And everybody's an expert. If you don't believe me, ask them. And they will try to explain, here's the reason that this person does this. Okay? That is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. And yet it is the one thing that I have seen consistent throughout history. And it doesn't go away. And yet if you really think about it, how silly is that? The other side of that coin is that is extraordinarily difficult to defend. I can tell you what my heart is. I can show you in my life this is my passion. And yet someone <laughs> inevitably come along and say, "No, it ain't. I know better." OK? Uh, <clears throat> some of you realize that uh, I come from a uh, checkered past. I've been walking faithfully with my king now for almost 30 years. Okay? It doesn't mean that I have sinless perfection. It's just that I have walked faithfully with the Lord for 30 years. I have people who knew me before then who are still waiting for me to fall. Dude, they make Job look impatient. I never say anything like it. Nope, I don't trust him. Fine, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. When I read this text about the Apostle Paul, I think about the church in Corinth. Now, remember what I've shared with you. There were four letters written to the church in Corinth. Okay, this is actually the fourth letter. All right, and this church was precious to the man. And yet, you look at what they're doing, and you say, why would these people be precious to you? That's sort of like having a pet alligator. You know, they're just so cute and adorable, soft and cuddly. Really? Okay, if you want boots. <laughs> but but I, I don't, I look at Paul and when I read this text, it is very clear. And one of the things that I've learned as a pastor, as a minister, as a servant of the Lord, it you can never defend yourself. Okay, because if they're attacking you, then they're attacking Christ and Christ to take care of it. I remember reading, uh, it was a biography on uh, Charles Spurgeon and he was speaking about um, uh, a a reporter had come and asked him and says, uh, Dr. Spurgeon, you never get into apologetics of the scriptures uh, to defend them. And he says, no, I believe that is a waste of time. Uh, That's an interesting statement. And the reporter says, well, defending the validity of Holy Scripture, how can that be a waste of time? He says, you forget something. It is the lion of the tribe of Judah. You open the cage and you turn it loose. And I thought, that's what you and I have to pay attention to. We just give the truth, and then the Lord will take care of it from that point on. That's what the Apostle Paul did. But one of the things you have to deal with, and you and I have to struggle with, is that people will attack your integrity, your motives, okay? And, and I've gone through this, and we are in the sixth one, but one of his motives was for the Lord. He had such an awe for God and what God had done in his life. That he knew that he had to maintain his integrity. Verse 11. He also understood it was for the church. There was nothing more precious on the planet earth to the Apostle Paul than the church. And he knew that that was what it was for. Verse 12. We want you to have an occasion and an answer for those who are consumed by appearance. And if you think about it today, ain't that what we see? is not the church consumed with appearance, appearance. I've had the privilege of traveling around in Europe and in uh, Russia and in England, and they have some massive churches, beautiful, but there's nothing but dead bones inside, dead bones. Okay, and I remember preaching at a church, St. James used to be an Episcopal church or Anglican church, and now it's it's a Baptist church, but it's still got the same name. And when you preach, you preach in a in a barrel it's, it's lifted up high on it it 's got this rickety OSHA unapproved stairs in the back, and you get in the barrel, and the sucker's about like this, so you can just barely either you know, short people look voices, but anyway, you sit right here and it's, it's you, you, there isn't there is no moving around you're going to do this, you've got a little place for your Bible. And so I got ready to preach. I laid my Bible down, and there was a band written around this barrel. And I'll never forget it. Sir, we would see Christ. have that thing sitting there looking at you. You went, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, wrong barrel. (laughs) But I thought about that when I was going back through this because that was what the Apostle Paul was about. And his single most important thing was the church. It was precious to him. But it was also for the truth, verse 13. Okay, We are besides ourselves. That literally means out of our minds for God. Crazy for Jesus. Right? But he says, we restrain it in sound mind for you. So we can bring it down. There are times when I stand in awe of my time in the Word. I mean I can back away from my desk and all of a sudden it just I can't articulate what He has shown me. And you just sort of sit there with a huh and and you realize that God has just through His Spirit opened something to you. There it is, Dun, and you just sort of sit there with huh, okay, I I don't even know how to say anything about it. And you just say, thanks. And I usually have to go take a walk during those times. It's like, I I better go breathe. Um, That's the times that you are beside yourself from God, and then you get the opportunity to share it with somebody And then you have to kind of bring it down so you're not quite as excited about it. (laughs) Verse 14 says, it is also for the Savior. It says the love of Christ. Note that phrase, the love of Christ. It's not Paul's love for Christ. It was Christ's love for Paul. Because Christ loved me so much that he bore my sins, how can I not defend my integrity? Okay, it's not defending himself. He's not, he's not defending that, well, I don't have the ability to turn a cute phrase. I can't come up with a three-point outline. Or I dress this way. Or I stutter sometimes. That's not what he's talking about. He doesn't defend that. Okay, God made me what I am. All right, what he's defending is if they don't trust the messenger, they'll never trust the message. Okay, and I have watched men, one of the greatest tragedies that I've watched in in church scandals are these men who have these massive platforms and then do something stupid and you throw the platform out and guess what goes with it? The message goes with it. And not only that, Christians. I remember Waco, Texas and that disaster and they all of a sudden started lumping us into... Christians. Okay, see how these fanatic, fundamentalist Christians are. And I'm sitting there going, "Uh, really? But that's what we do. That's what the world will do against us. also did it for verse 15, for righteousness. They live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. This is what... Uh, I watch people struggle with. His death on the cross was for sin. Okay? The sin of humanity. Okay? It is efficient for all men, women, and children ever born. Okay? But the substitution is only for those who believe. Okay? It's good enough for all. But the substitution, and what I mean by that, he takes the penalty for your sin, is only for those who believe, only for those who believe. And that is for the righteous, the right standing before God, those, okay? And he's already dealt with that, and you can, if you want to read online, you can go hear all of that, Okay? Then last week, I moved into verse 16 and 17. I want you to look at something. Verse 16 starts out with the word what? No, not what, therefore. (laughs) Sorry. And verse 17 starts out with? Okay, both of those are a conclusion. Okay, what you're seeing here is the Apostle Paul taking what he's laid out. And he gives you a conclusion in 16 and he gives you a conclusion in 17. We looked last week, we started into this because it is for the lost. All right. Because Christ died for all who died in him. Okay. So this is for the saved people. All right. We now, verse 16 says, we now recognize no one according to the flesh. Right? When we look at people and situations and circumstances, I don't view them on the temporal outcome. I view them on the eternal outcome. Now, when I listen to um, some preachers and and some quote-unquote ministers and things like that, I can view that And I evaluate that now according to the word of God. All right. So my evaluation system has changed. You've heard the statement before. You can't judge a book by its cover. All right. Humanity looks at people. How? By the cover. How do they dress? What is their education? What is their social status? How much money do they make? What does their wife look like? What does their husband look like? How many kids do they have? What do their kids look like? How do their cats act, kids act? And, and we go through this. But if you look at how humanity looks. But, but I, I look at these things and I don't understand some of this stuff because I, I hear people. I grew up thinking that John F. Kennedy was one of the greatest presidents that this country ever had. Okay. But if you go look at what he did, what did he do? But he could speak, couldn't he? I mean, he could. But when you back away from it, you start thinking about it. What did he do? He didn't do anything. He got shot. You see what I'm trying to get at? Because that's the way the world views things. They're looking at it on the temporal side. The temple side. We who are saved, we who have entered into the life of Christ, okay? That's what he starts here in verse 17. Anyone is in Christ. Sometimes we'll call it born again, regenerated, saved. You know what? I like Paul's phrase, in Christ. I'm in Christ. Christ. Okay, if you go back to Romans 6, you'll see there it says you have been united with Christ. And that word there, you've heard this illustration before. That word there is that if you took the ingredients to make a biscuit, okay, and you, I don't know how to make a biscuit. But anyway, if you took whatever it takes to make a biscuit and you put them all together, okay, and you put it in a bowl Alright, you can literally go back and take it back to its original components. Alright, if you're really bored. But, you turn that oven up to 400 and you throw them suckers in that oven and you bring them out there golden brown, you can't separate them ingredients anymore. Okay, guess what? That's what you are. It's what I am. No, don't walk out of here saying, you know, he says we're Jesus biscuits. Um... (laughs) <laughs> then I'm just going to say, miss that point, okay? There is no way for a Christian to be separated from Christ. I'm convinced, right? What do you say? That nothing in creation can separate me from the love of God. All right, and everybody still got the biscuit thing going, biscuit <laughs> man, and I am gonna hungry. So when I look at this and I, and, I, and I start seeing those who are in Christ, those who have been fulfilled by the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on their behalf, I then understand we are a new creature. We have a new life. I don't see the way others see. I don't look at people. Wow, oh, that's that's really bad, and ah, that's not so bad. Or you know, I, I don't look at people that way anymore. It's if you have problems with anger towards other people, what's your view? Just like the lost, just like the lost. You know, I've had people. Who got mad at me because I didn't get angry. And I'm not sure how that all works. But but it, you just don't seem like you care. And the only way you can show you care is if you get angry. No, not really. Okay. But remember, we don't look for ourselves anymore. We are looking for others. That's for the lost. My view of every human being right now is either they are saved or they're not. Okay? It is very easy to evaluate. I I know they say, well, you don't judge. You don't judge the motive of the heart, but out of the mouth, it speaks. Okay, If I have a person who continually looks at everything the way lost people look, what's your conclusion? They're lost. Okay, Now, it doesn't mean I'll well, kick them under the bus. It means they are still God's creation, and they still have ears to hear the gospel. That's what stunned me when the young man yesterday says, I don't want you to pray for me. And I thought, what? So, you know me, I take it as a challenge. I shall pray without ceasing for you. If the death and resurrection of Christ, now watch what Paul does here. If the death and resurrection of Christ changed Paul's life, Okay, we would say profoundly, wouldn't we? Therefore, in verse 17, any in Christ will have the same profound change. And, I'm, and it's going to be drastic. I don't care. Well, I wasn't that bad. Really? I always love those people. I had a person one time told me, that said, well, Terry, the reason you have so much zeal for Jesus is that where you were, it was so dark, it's just such a profound change. I just looked at him and said, perhaps you need the same change. (laughs) Darkness is darkness. You know, I, I was in the gray. No, you weren't. You were dead in sin and trespass. I tell everybody, the only difference between me and most is everything you thought of, I just did. That's all. And and I try to get people to understand that. It's not a degree. I was just a little sinner. And, And I had a person tell me that. Well, I wasn't that big a sinner. You just grew by saying that. Okay, and Paul's statement here says there is such an amazing transformation that takes place and it is available to all. Now you got to understand something. Paul was a religious man. He wasn't a drunkard, a womanizer, a thief, a drug dealer. He was a Pharisee he was a man of the book and yet he said that resurrection is so profound to me it shocked my universe my existence the core of who I am and I'm trying to figure out how people get saved by saying that well, wasn't that big a deal really perhaps you should go back to step one here's what he says If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Okay? Paul realized what had happened to him. And he also realized that what had happened to him could happen to anyone in Christ. Okay? He puts a qualifier on it. You gotta have that. He's not talking, Paul would have been a very moral man before going to Damascus. Paul said, what happened to me can happen to anyone in Christ and would happen to anyone in Christ, no matter who, no matter what they've done, no matter their past, no no matter their place in the social ladder, no matter their education, no matter their society uh, or their demographic study. It doesn't matter. It should be radical. It should be profound. Why? It is a new creature remember I was the chief of sinners and what happened to me can happen to anyone how massive is God's mercy the day of Paul's salvation and he concluded that any in Christ can have the same massive experience in their lives Because they're only going to be a new creature. You'll be a new creature, just like me, Paul said. Okay. Now then, do you see why Paul had a different view of people than he did before? I've had people ask me, "Well, when can a person not be reached for Christ when they die?" Up until that point, they can still come. Okay? Now, I can tell you, there is a place somewhere out there. I don't know where it is. I can't give you, you know, biblical points on it, that God's grace stops. And you may not die, but God's grace is done. You ain't. You can't get it no more. Okay? Uh, and you can look at Bethsaida, Corazin, Capernaum. God cursed them. The seven curses on the uh, uh, Pharisees. When you see that word, woe, and it's coming from Jesus, it's done. It's done. When Jesus says you're cursed, what's the appeal court? You're done. I mean, you may not fall over dead. It's like when Adam ate of the fruit. Remember, he was told he would surely... Die, okay? Well, look, he didn't die. Yeah, he did. Instantaneously, spiritually, dead. I mean, think about it. I'm going to go hide from God. That's spiritual dead. I mean, that's what he thought. Well, we'll just go hide. He won't find us. Well, all right. (laughs) Did you bring the shovel? (laughs) Paul's understanding is, is that you're either a new creation... Or you're not in Christ. It's that simple. Right? When you look at co-workers, when you look at your neighbors, when you look at loved ones, family members, when you look at all, they're either this new creature or they're not in Christ. Okay? And it should be profound because I can witness the way they view everything. You see what I'm trying to get at? And I mean, Paul, Paul ex, what Paul experienced, I've always kind of struggled with that. I'm like, to be cruising down to Damascus Road and have Jesus poof, shine and why are you persecuting me? And now you're blind. I'm sitting there going, yeah, that'd probably rock your universe. Okay. At least give, make me stutter or something. All right but what the apostle Paul is trying to share with you and I this day is anyone can experience that no you may not get a visual poof there he is but that radical transformation is, exi- is there for all who are in Christ it, it, listen it, it's, remember when I was talking about Adam when he ate of the fruit he completely became spiritually blind as soon as you're in Christ guess what You can spiritually see. You know, I know people right now who know more about the Bible than should be legal. I mean, they can tell you how many white hairs can be on the red heifer that is offered up for the blood sacrifice to build the temple. And I'm sitting there going, why do you know that? Okay, but they can tell you all kinds. But I can look at their lives and say, but you're not in Christ. You can, you're going to be amazing at Bible trivia. But it has absolutely no transforming power in your life. Because those who are in Christ... Have a spiritual insight. They are not living for the temporal anymore. I mean, I live in the temporal. But it is not my focus and my passion. Watch our lives, people. You can see what we're passionate about. You can see what we put value on. There's no more evaluating people on the surface. We live for the kingdom. We live for Christ. And we see people in their relationship to God. If they're in Christ and they seem to be weak and feeble and frail, you have a passion to grow them in the things of God. Why? So they can stand. We help the faint-hearted. We strengthen the weak. Okay, and that's a cool text because it ain't talking about pastors. It's talking about saints. That is our responsibility. If they are not in Christ, then our passion is to see them in Christ. To see the relationship to God. Paul's telling you and I that this new life is for any man that is in Christ. It's already there. It's complete. Being in Christ. United to Christ. Inseparable to Christ. Remember in Romans chapter 3 verse 26. I say his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Again, there's that qualifier. You've got to have faith in Jesus. And it can't be Jesus. I see people creating Jesus in their own image. And you can't do that. You can't do that. His resurrection is now our life. Remember, we have been baptized into his Death, and we have been raised to do what? In the what? A new creation. I'm a new creature. I walk in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I see things in the eternals, not in the temporals. In Christ. That's man's redemption. In Christ is my security. In Christ, he bore my sin. In Christ, I now live. God's judgment for our sin was in Christ. I have the assurance of a future in him in the resurrection, I have a guarantee of my inheritance. I am full heir. I am joint heir with Jesus Christ. Ask yourself a silly question. What does Jesus own? So why would you struggle so much to have stuff in this temporal? You ever thought about that? And yet, look at our passion. I've got to have a new I don't know, fill in the blank. Why? I'm a joint heir with the creator of existence. He owns every molecule. I mean, it's kind of funny. You heard the joke. Very wealthy man was preparing to die. And he says, Lord, I would like to take all of my earthly possessions with me to heaven. And God said, well, all right, fine. So he takes everything that he's got, has it turned into gold bullion. Okay, everything. Then he dies. So he goes walking up to the pearly gate and there stands Peter. And uh, Peter says, what's in the bag? He says, well, God said I could bring all my earthly possessions, so I turned it all into gold. He says, you're going to bring that with you? He says, yeah. He says, you know up here in heaven, it's just pavement. Ain't that what we do? You think about the energy we spend on the temporal. And what happens to it? Oh, I think something about rust and moth and thief. Eat it up. We only inherit in Him. Because when we inherit in Him, then we have the glory in Him. And remember, the word glory... The manifestations of the nature and character of God. That ought to freak you out. The divine nature, its everlasting word of God. Will be in each and every one who is in Christ. In Christ we are new. In Christ. and, and, And the word new here has to do with the quality of it. Okay, it's a new creation. The quality of the creation is completely different than before it started. There's a new level of excellence. Um, Paul uses this phrase in Galatians chapter 6 verse 15. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new Creation, same phrase. It is a quality of existence that did not exist in it beforehand. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 24, Paul says, You're putting on the new self. The new self. Everything is new. God wants to recreate us. That's why he told Nicodemus, you must what? Be born again. When I go back into the womb, no, you goofy. No, you have to start over. Everything you've done is useless. Newer, dung. You know what's funny though? If you go and read rabbinical writings, Old Testament and today, um, you find this a lot. The rabbis speak of it a lot, of being a new creation. Okay, And it's always used by the rabbinicals writers to describe one whose sin has been forgiven one whose sin has been forgiven is a new creature the dying and living in christ had made paul a new creature he had a new knowledge remember he had looked at jesus in the past remember he says we knew jesus in the flesh but not anymore Remember, because he in the past, what was he? A blasphemer, deserving of death. I've seen him in the flesh. I was around. I knew what was going on. Okay, but I don't look at him that way anymore. Why? Because he's God. I look at him different now. A new view of Christ. If you have a new view of Christ, you have a new view of. People, remember when they asked Jesus Christ what was the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's your focus? You have a new view of God. If you have a new view of God, guess what? You will love your neighbor as yourself. Because you will not be worried about hoarding up things for you. And, you know, well, what is it that we say? Keeping up with the Joneses. Keeping up with the Joneses. Had a guy this week ask me. He said, uh, the guy had given me a, a lotto ticket back when it was like a bazillion dollars or whatever it was. And it was a tip. And he said, here, and I was like, you know, if I witness, you're going to cry. <laughs> and and uh, and I said, you you will go down in history as either the biggest fool on the planet or the biggest tipper on the planet. Anyway, it didn't work. He came to me and he asked me about it. He said, what would you have done if you had won that? And I said, well, that's easy. And he says, well, what would you have done? I said, I'd have given it to the Lord. Oh, he said, you mean 10%? I said, no. The whole thing. He said, "What? Are you out of your mind? He says, I don't want the headache. i just give it to Jesus. Hang on, hang on to that for me, would you? I'll give me a bag of pavement when I get to heaven. Because you know what? You think about it. We believe that if I get X number of dollars, what's going to happen? am just going to have a headache. And I guarantee you this. 11 out of 10 will turn their back on the Lord. I have no need for him. Look what he's provided. That's why I don't gamble. I know he ain't going to let me win. Because <laughs> he says, that kid will turn his back just like that if I give him money. So he might, he's wasting it. So I don't even mess with it. And some of you say, well, you ride a motorcycle, right? that gambling? Yeah, the odds are in my favor. Anyone that is in Christ has the same new the Apostle Paul is talking about here. And the whole world changes. Everything in the world changes. I don't have the desires. Okay. He says here that the old things pass away and the new has come. The new has come. Now, I want you to understand something about this. The word that he uses here for newness has come. Okay. This has to do with Reality. Okay, it isn't this spiritual, I'm feeling Jesus. Okay, that is not what this word is. It says the new has come. I look at everything now because I have a view of the eternals. I have a view of Jesus Christ as God. It has changed. This is real, people. And there's an increasing understanding of that newness. People say, You say you read your Bible every day. I do. I do. You know what? I can honestly say I've read Genesis to Revelation numerous times. Okay? That's, do you know that's hard to find a pastor who's done that? But I, it's here, I might as well read it. Okay? But what I find is, is that every time I read through a section of something that you knew you knew, God said, no, you didn't. Look, I have read 2 Corinthians every day for almost 11 years. And I still find stuff in there going, whoa. Not only that, I'm thinking I need to back up and do these first five again. You guys are like, oh, God. (laughs) All right. But but it's true. You keep reading it and God keeps showing you. And that is that level of newness. We grow in our understanding and we will continue to do that until we know as we are known. First Corinthians 13 tells me that when the perfect has come, what is that? When I receive a resurrected body, then I will know as God has known me. I'm going to have a headache that day. I know there's no headaches in heaven. Well, if I'm there, there'll be a headache. <laughs> Old things pass away. Real simple. The spiritual issues now are real. I see people dealing with spiritual issues and they don't think they're real. They're abstract or they're mystical. Or it's, you know, the I was sitting there praying hard and the hair stood up on the back of my neck. I remember a lady, I told her I'd gone to Israel, and she says, I was in Israel. She says, every time I looked up in the sky, and the blue sky, God would make something with the clouds. What the heck is that? I was on uh, the uh, west side of Jerusalem, and it snowed on us. But I'm thinking that ain't exactly what she was talking about. You know, God made it snow on me. I and, but I, you get this, and they're all into this. Well, did you go to Masada? There there was doves of peace all over Masada. There was not no doves when I was there. Actually, it was really cool when I was there. They were um, taking an oath that Masada would never have, and they do that for every Israeli officer. And that ceremony was going on when I was there, and I thought that was kind of cool. Those are doves of war. <laughs> Sorry. Hawks. That's where they're going. Anyway. But he said, I'm trying to get it. But... The newness of Christ now is the reality of Christ now. Right now. Spiritual sight is clear. And the more you spend in the book, the clearer it becomes. We who used to be dead like Adam became alive to the things of God. We see Christ for who he is, who he really is. You know, I listen to people, some Christians, and they're getting upset over the uh, the election and who's going to get this and who's going to be that and all the rest of it. Whoever God wants. It does, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, well, don't vote. I remember a guy one time said, you know, it's supposed to get bad at the end of the age, so shouldn't we vote for the worst ones so we can get it done quicker? And I was like, I don't think so. But anyway, interesting concept. (laughs) I better not say that. The old, listen, I want you to think about this. Your old ideas, your old values, your old plans, your old loves, your old passions, your old desires, your old philosophies, your old principles. Your old beliefs, they're gone. Old things have passed away. Okay, now listen. It doesn't mean that there isn't any evil. It doesn't mean that there isn't any sin. Okay, but God has planted new plans, new desires, new loves, new purpose, new values. And then He feeds them. He develops them. And all of a sudden you start realizing you have victory over your flesh. Doesn't mean you don't sin. It's just that you have the ability to overcome every sin. You are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Okay, you need to keep this in mind. Be, okay, listen, I had a conversation this week. This was the strangest, one of the strangest weeks I've ever endured. And I mean endured, because it's it's what it felt like. I did get to go see the Rockies on Wednesday. What a ball game. But I was surrounded by 8 to 10-year-olds that screamed the whole game. So it just, it lost something. Anyway, I watch people, when you share the gospel, that say they have too much to give up okay well if i get a hold of your jesus that i can't go to the bar on friday can't go out dancing i can't go watch tv no more i can't do this i can't do that uh, all the things you know i got my new corvette and i got my new motorcycle and i'm thinking about buying this boat and i'm saying i can't do that cuz you know christians ain't allowed to have no fun and i have the same answer that i give to everybody What's the value? Now, I want you guys to think with me for a second. When I talk to lost people, I ask them, what is the value that you're putting on, fill in the blank, on the new car, um, multiple girlfriends, multiple boyfriends, multiple whatever it is you're, you're pursuing? What is the price tag that you would put on that? Okay, let me think, you think about something. As a Christian right now, okay, I want you to think. Now, listen, I want you to do this honestly, and I don't want you to do it for your husband or your wife or your kids or anything like that. If you could take the stuff in your life right now that you would classify as important. This has great value to me. Okay? And you could stack it in your kitchen or, well, maybe you got something bigger than, you know, than that. But anyway, if you put it on your little list right now, these are important. And I'm talking about, you know, my relationship with my spouse, uh, my kids, you know, the family unit, whatever that is. Just let them through there and say, okay, this one here is number one, number two. Number three, just go through your little list and, and and think about a value how much how important is this to me, and what was the price that I would put on that thing? Do you understand that being a Christian, you don't throw that stuff away? A lot of people think you do you don't throw it away, but you knew that was coming, right? But Christ comes in because you're in Christ and he changes the price tags. They aren't his value. You know what the single most valuable thing that I've ever witnessed in my life that is number one in my possessions? Number one. That right there. That right there. You can take everything else away from me as long as I got that. Do you want number two on my list? The church. There's nothing on this planet besides the word of God that is dearer to me than the church. Well, what about Jesus? You've just separated Jesus from what? In the beginning was the... Oh. uh oh And he has manifested where? Oh. Oh. I don't have a Jesus picture. So I, I don't know what he looks like. But he's what I'm trying to get at. You and I... There's nothing wrong with your family, but it's not my top dollar. Okay, And everybody's going, I can't believe he's saying that. Brothers and sisters, you better believe it. And let me tell you something else. You had better come to that position. It doesn't mean I love my children or I love my my wife less than ever, but they are not before my word and they are not before the body of Christ, the manifestation of my Lord and Savior on this planet. And those people who try to do that will be in absolute turmoil. Because if you are in Christ, how can he not, in his manifestation, in the body, and in the book, be number one? And number two. <laughs> and three. <laughs> because what I've learned is, when Jesus says... Trust, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. I'm simpler. If I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, guess what? I'll take care of my neighbors. Why? Because I have this other view that I didn't have before. You will step into a place that the psalmist calls in Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. See in Christ, we see all things new in its quality. I have a new outlook. I have a new outlook on everything, and it is a true reality, because I see existence for what it truly is. It is the manifestation of God. God was praying for me in my motorcycle the other day, yesterday, and He says, "I pray." That as you ride, wherever you ride, you behold nothing but the beautiful, magnificent glory of God's creation. That's amazing to me. I thought about that. I have been blessed. I've got to see some amazing things. If you ever get a chance to go see the Negev, the wilderness, what a God-forsaken place. But it's still beautiful. I wouldn't want to live there. And I would not recommend going in July. I was there in March, and it was cool. But I mean, it ain't even there ain't even weeds growing. It's like a place to grow dirt and rocks. I've been to the Mojave. It's pretty, but it has bushes, them Joshua trees, and things. I've seen some amazing things. But when you think about it and you stop back and you look at it, I want you to ask yourself when you look around at things, do you ever look at it as, wow, look what God did? Okay, as you grow old with your spouse, you'll have to do that more and more. <laughs> wow, look what God did. <laughs> Fooled me. <laughs> As Christians, we live in the middle of this old creation. But we have a new creation, a new creation perspective. We set our affections on things above, Colossians 3 says. Do you understand that? Your greatest heartache will be because you put your affections on the things here. Guaranteed. If I put my affections on the things above... Wow. The old world is gone. Its standards, its motives, its judgments, its values are gone. The whole new world exists around us now. God's perfect standard of holiness is before us. And we look at it. And I was trying to figure out how to, uh, how do you deal with this? We were dealing with the doctrine of sanctification. And I heard an illustration, many years ago. And I thought, you know, this is the only way that I can really kind of articulate this. How do I behold the holiness of God? And I am so aware of it now, but I can't touch it. It's not like it's something I can... Okay, if if I, if I memorize twenty two books of the Bible, um, I should be you know close. Okay, but you 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 can't do it. Have you ever you ever done that? But being fervent prayer, been in the Word, and all you just overwhelmed by blessings and praise, and and just just can't hardly stand yourself. Then all of a sudden, this really stupid thought comes cruising between your ears, and you're like, where did that come from? Okay. it's, It's like I reached into the heavenlies and fell out the other side. Here's a guy who described this, and I thought it was pretty good. He says, the pureness of God is like the stars. And I thought, well, all right. He says, you can't touch them, but you can see them. This is pretty impressive if you really think about it. But you know what's amazing about the stars? You can navigate by them. If you follow the stars, you'll get to where you're going. Isn't that the holy perfection of God? I can't touch it, but I can navigate by it. And if I... Follow the navigation. I'll get there. I will be able to touch it. In the life to come. But I still have to follow the path now. And it's usually just one step at a time. Paul experienced all of this. He had a transformation. Transformation. And he also realized that this could happen to anyone who was in Christ. And because of that, that's what he lived for. Why? To bring people the gospel. So they could believe and be transformed into what he was. That was reason enough for Paul to defend his integrity for the Lord for the church, for truth, for the Savior, for righteousness, and for the lost. You know what I see here as I close this section? I see Paul's heart wide open. You know what? It's, it's funny. In 1 Corinthians, he says that God will expose the motive of men's hearts. It's a fascinating thought. So many of us think we have that ability. But he says, No, God will do it. And yet I look at this and he lays out, here's the motive of my heart is the integrity of my ministry. I hope that you and I understand that if you are in Christ right now, what's your motives? And are you ministering? Are you doing anything? And it's easy to answer that question. How much are you on your knees? How much are you in the book? Because if any of those are lacking, you ain't doing nothing. I don't care what you're doing. I mean, you might work in the nursery. You might, I don't know, might paint the building, change the light bulbs. But if you ain't on your knees and you ain't in the book, you ain't doing nothing you got to hold the temporal. You know what? stars are still up there and you can still navigate by them, but you're standing in one place going, "Wow, well, ain't that pretty? I see here Paul's heart. And I think to his accusers, they would have to read this, or when they read this to the Corinthian congregation, they would have to look at his accusers and say, really? <laughs> you're accusing Paul of what? Paul says, here's my motives. Here is the intents of my heart. It's not for my sake, but it is for my integrity. The motive of the heart will be shown by God. Here is Paul's. Take these six points and ask yourself a question. What are your motives? What are the intents of your heart? Let's pray. Father, to you be the glory and praise for our brother Paul. And Father, as his life shows the new creation, may that be our passion. May we be overwhelmed by it. Father, as we press on for the upward calling of you, may we not be swayed to the left nor to the right. May we not even be swayed to stop and rest. Father, may we run this race with endurance keeping our eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith. And Father, may we just be flat out overwhelmed by you, your presence, the reality of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you, Jesus, for your giving us such a precious gift of salvation. But Lord, I just thank you that it's such a time as this that you have each of us here. May we now look anew And our price tags. And rejoice at what you have done. To your glory and praise. Amen.